Hey everybody, I hope you are doing well. We are excited to talk to you today about our new construction opportunities and why we focus so heavily on this model and specifically in North Texas. As always, on the right, you're gonna see a question section where if you have questions along the way, don't hesitate to put those there and I will get to them as we go. This is the largest webinar we've ever done, so y'all bear with us. We will do all questions at the end um, just because I don't know how many we're going to have. So without further ado, let's get started. So first and foremost, as always, our disclaimer, everything that we're talking about today is my best recommendations based on knowledge, experience, and not based on a crystal ball. Although we do our best to call market trends and conditions, of course, that is subject to change and there's no guarantees. So we always recommend any investment strategy or model that you're looking at. You, of course, speak with the professionals around you, whether it be attorneys, accountants, et cetera, to make sure it's the right fit for your future. So. You all know we are a full service real estate brokerage. You know we do property management. Many of you know we do investment properties. What we have never done before is to bring across a wider audience to talk about what it is we do in the investment realm and why. And I think in light of everything going on right now, not only within the Dallas market booming and Texas in general, but also in what I expect with the mass exodus leaving California and New York, subsequent to what's happened with coronavirus, I think it's more important than ever that we all take a step back, we look at our investment strategy and make sure that we are doing the best we can with our money to not only make us money, but also protect us and have potential for future growth regardless of what really the market and the overall economy is doing. So all of that being said, today I'm gonna to focus on North Texas because this is the number one market that we recommend investing in. We do offer the model that I'm gonna to discuss today in our submarkets, submarkets being the other portions of Texas that we cover. So we are currently at about 80%. I expect that we'll be at 100% by the end of the next year. So let's talk about North Texas specifically. And let me tell you why. Number one, North Texas is very unique. It's unique from its layout to its employment diversification, to its housing shortage, and to its affordable cost of living. And so anyone who has looked at Texas and has looked at what our market is doing knows Dallas, Fort Worth, and North Texas is booming. And it's not just booming economically, it's also booming in its population growth. And so we are currently at over seven and a half million people. And now keep in mind that this puts us in the fourth largest metro area statistically in the United States, but we are extremely spread out. And I'm gonna talk a little bit more about the uniqueness of our layout and our highway system and how that works to our advantage as investors. We have had a three and a half million population increase in the last eight years in this Texas area. And so that is an equivalent to a thousand new residents every day. So if we look at a thousand people a day moving into Texas, that's staggering. And again, that was statistics going into and prior to the coronavirus. I remember I used to present this at a lot of the firms that we work with, and we talked about the number 545 people. It was 545 people a day relocating to Texas. And that number was only a few years old. And here we are, 
in 2020, and we are now at over a thousand residents a day. It's staggering numbers. And the thing to keep in mind is if we do see the mass exodus from the high density and just very non-friendly areas in terms of political response to these types of situations, that thousand a day could very easily rise. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to see that double. I think that it's, we are in uncharted territory right now. We have states that as of yesterday and areas of, of California, for example, Los Angeles, if those of you are watching, they're gonna lock down till July. And here we are in Texas open for business. And so it's so much more than politics. It doesn't matter where you lie in the political realm, whether you're on the left or the right or whether you're neither. It is 100% about what the state laws allow you to do as an investor and as a person and as an employee and how you are penalized based on where you live versus how you are helped based on where you live. And so Texas is, it's the whole trifecta. We have all of the best landlord laws in the United States. We have some of the best employment laws in the United States. We have the most, I would say, inactive state law and state government um, compared to other states like New York and California. Whereas, you know, we really can kind of do what we want to do. Yes, there's laws and yes, there's rules. And yes, they did lockdowns to a certain degree, but I think that what coronavirus has shown us more than anything is the control that the government thinks they have over us and over our liberties and over just our ability to conduct business. And that at the end of the day is the biggest thing. You look at what's going on right now in California and in New York, and you look at what's going on in Texas, and it is complete night and day. And so I think that there is a huge potential right now for Dallas and North Texas and Texas to truly benefit from a mass exodus. And we're already seeing it. We've seen it in our applications for people applying for our properties. You know, most of this thousand a day has been people relocating here with their employers. Now, of course, there's always been people moving here because they wanna be near family or because they know Texas is a very strong, diverse job market, that's great. But what we have been seeing the last two months are people moving here because they want to be here for the jobs, not because their employer has relocated here, but because they lost their job wherever they are and they know that they need to be in a place that has the job market to sustain that and still have a lower cost of living. I talk about this a lot when we do these weekly webinars and I'm gonna repeat it again here. We are the fourth largest Metro in the United States, but we are the only affordable housing market in the top four. You look at our competitors and they are so expensive that you have to make a quarter of a million dollars just to be able to be a homeowner. Here, that's not the case. You can go into our suburbs and you can still buy a home for 100,000 to 150,000. Happens all day, every day. And so there is a uniqueness to Texas and a uniqueness to North Texas that I can't state enough. And it all goes back to our employment, our population and our layout. So number one, let's talk about home demand. All right, we have a huge demand for homes in Texas and specifically in North Texas. So home builders started construction on about 255,000 new single family homes in the last 10 years. There's a shortage of about 40,000 homes. And I talk a lot about the A-class property fill. And what that means is they've taken this housing shortage and because new construction just can't keep up and they don't keep up, 
And right now it's gonna get even worse. So they were calling for us to catch up to supply by about 2022 or 2023. That was before coronavirus. You are gonna see a huge drop and a huge cut and the number of new construction homes starting. Not because the market has crashed, not because everything has disappeared, but it's because number one, labor is gonna be a problem because everyone is afraid. Number two, banks are not lending the same way that they were, and a lot of your builders were filling the need for small mom and pop builders. And I'm gonna talk more about why we target them in a moment, but for general open market listing, it's very difficult to get financing as a builder unless you are already independently wealthy and well qualified. And so a lot of the builds that have been filling this need, those people are no longer gonna have access to financing. For those of you that are doing value plays where you buy a property, fix it up and refi, you've already seen the disappearance of non-QM mortgages in this space. And so there's been a huge change in how home builders can operate. And so your big builders are gonna keep operating, although I believe that's gonna be at reduced capacity, but your small builders that fill the majority of this need, they're gonna really struggle. And I don't think that's gonna go away anytime soon. They were already struggling because labor cost has gotten so expensive and supply cost has gotten so expensive, which on the ownership side, that's a great positive of buying new construction because as property values rise, the cost to build goes up, your value goes up. But from a trying to source property to purchase perspective, it's a real problem. And so what's happened is even before coronavirus, if you go back a few years, all of these developers have been building class A apartments and they've been filling that need all over the Metroplex, but mostly in the main heart of the city. And as you know from my constant talking about the layout of Dallas, that heart of the city is not where we want to target. It's where they're building because they can get the most money for it and they can charge ridiculous amounts of rent. And of course they're building up in Frisco. The number of new apartment starts in Frisco last year would blow your mind. It's just absolutely unfathomable. But they're all class A apartments, which means they have high amenity packages, they're extremely expensive. And in most cases they are more expensive than the single family new construction homes that we are offering and that we recommend for purchase and even more expensive than the pre-owned properties many of you already own. And so when we look at this housing shortage, it's really understated because yes, there's a shortage of tens of thousands of properties and tens of thousands of homes, but if you throw in all of the fill that they have done with apartment living, that number, if you remove all that, goes up significantly. And now coming out of the backside of coronavirus, you're gonna see a lot less people wanting to live in apartments, especially in high density apartments, because that is where this virus spreads. And even if and when this virus goes away in a month or a year or whenever it happens, we're just one step away from the next. And even if it takes 10 years to have another, it doesn't really matter because now it's in the back of the minds of people. We've been talking a lot about home ownership being at 50 year lows. And if you look at North Texas specifically, Dallas County, so the Dallas area is 50% renters. You look at Tarrant County or the Fort Worth area, it's 40% renters. And so when we look at those statistics and we know how many people are truly renting, if there's even a small percentage of exodus from the large apartment complexes, which again, I'm already seeing in our applications and leasing department, that is gonna take this housing shortage and it's gonna catapult it. And what does that mean? That means there's a potential for rising rents. It means there's a potential for a lack of inventory. It means there's a potential for push back to home ownership, which means rising prices. So really it's set up to succeed in every way for us as investors, other than the sourcing of property. And that is why 
we work so hard to source so many off-market properties. And so, for example, as of today, our investor list has about 140 properties on it. So we're talking significant numbers of properties here. And we have to do that for a few reasons. Number one, we work with dozens and dozens of 1031s at a time. We represent over a thousand investors. And then I myself, of course, buy many, many properties every single month. So, you know, it's taken a long time to get it to this point, but it's very market resistant in terms of inventory. And so all of these problems we're talking about are not a problem for us, but they are a problem for your general home buyer looking on the market. Now, let's talk about statistics and economy numbers here in North Texas. So we're home to over 10,000 corporate headquarters, an astonishing number. We have 23 Fortune 500 companies, and I'll mind you that over half of those are in the suburbs, and almost 100% of the ones that have moved here recently are all moved to the suburbs. So again, it goes back to that suburb model we're going to talk about in a moment. Unemployment was 3.2% going into this year. There's no state or corporate income tax. That's huge. And then we have some very interesting things to incentivize all these businesses relocating here. You know, you can't open the newspaper without seeing an employer moving to Texas. Uh, all you have to do is look at Tesla last week. And for those of you not watching his social media, it's been kind of funny. But, um, you know, we laugh about it. But in reality, what he's doing is no different than what Toyota and Liberty Mutual and all of the other big employers did because they understand the benefits of Texas are so far beyond just cheaper property and better income taxes and better state laws. It also goes back to the livability of employees, the better cost of living. You can pay someone $100,000 here and they live like they're rich. You take that $100,000 income and you translate that to California and they can barely get by. So it's just a completely different living ability here in Texas than it is in some of these other markets. So we've got things like the Enterprise Fund, which was basically 300 million to get businesses to come to Texas. So that alone resulted in 6.3 billion in capital investment from out-of-state companies. And then you've got cities that are also going in and incentivizing these companies to come. So for those of you that have been to our office, right behind our office is CityLine which is basically a mini city that was built and developed in conjunction with the city of Richardson for State Farm. So State Farm relocated here. They went right off the George Bush Turnpike in one of these suburbs areas that we talk about. And they have their own trolley system, their own apartments, their own restaurants, all of this centered around the State Farm headquarters. And so a lot of that cost was absorbed by the city of Richardson. They received a lot of tax benefits and things to do that. And it incentivized them to come here. But then what they did is they made this whole mini city feel for their employees to live right by work. So they're more productive, they have easier ability to source people. It's just a completely different way of thinking about it. And so City Line is called just that for a reason. It's a mini city completely developed and revolving around State Farm. Now, all of us go there to eat and shop and do all those other things. But really, in reality, you have to look back at the bare basics. What did they do to incentivize State Farm to get here? And that ingenuity and that tax benefit and everything that we do here in Texas is why so many companies come here. So to put it into perspective, we've created 910,000 jobs in the last 10 years. It's incredible numbers. So infrastructure and expansion plays a big piece of this. Our job centers and our large employers are not just in the heart of the city. So as I mentioned, of the 23 Fortune 500 companies, over half of those are located in the suburbs and almost 100% of those that have moved here in the course of the last eight years. You really can live anywhere in our Metroplex and get there. 
get wherever you need to be. Our highway system is incredible. It's completely unique. And we really build off these highways outside of the main city. There are people who want to live in the main city. I can tell you that I do not buy in the city of Dallas and very rarely will I buy in the city of Fort Worth or in that Tarrant County side. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Number one, it's simple crime. We don't wanna be in properties where we have to cage our ACs and worry about vandalism, theft, drug use, et cetera. Now those things happen everywhere, but when you're in a market where there's a propensity for it that's over and above the usual and your tenant class is gonna have more turnover, more damage, more repair cost, those are all things that we have to take into consideration because depending on what your return is and specifically when we're dealing in older properties, one big repair can eat your cash flow for a year or two. And I'm sure some of you have already seen that. And so there's some things that we do to combat that. We bring repairs and maintenance in-house so that we can control pricing and not have to deal with the ridiculous prices GCs are charging and handymen. Because again, there's more work than there are people to do it. There's a huge trade shortage and deficit. Not everybody wants to do backbreaking work. And then in addition to that, when we look in the main city, what goes up can come down. So the areas of the main part of the city have skyrocketed in price. And so when we are targeting our areas, and I'm gonna talk more about our target criteria in a little bit, we are looking for areas that have not yet met their prime. And so we wanna be in areas that are on the way up, not areas that have already gone up and we're banking on going up more. Texas is very much a hybrid market and specifically North Texas. And what that means is that not only do you get cash flow, but you also have this potential for extreme price growth. And for the people that have been invested here for the last few years, we've all seen that. Some of us saw our down payments triple, quadruple, five times, just depending on the property. And so, you know, there's no crystal ball looking for the future, but we always recommend investing in a hybrid market because then you have the best potential. You buy up front for the cash flow the way it performs right now. And then on the backside, you're hoping for that appreciation or price gain. And then again, remember when we're talking about new construction, it's not just appreciation, it's also rising build cost, which raises sale prices, which in turn raises value of properties surrounding. So the Texas Transportation Commission approved a $77 billion 10-year transportation plan. So this is just going to improve on what we already have. So let's talk about the layout and why it's so unique. We have the second largest number of freeway miles per capita in the United States. So what this means is that we have more road to cover to get us to where we need to be. We also stay ahead of the curve. If those of you who visited during the last crash, number one, we didn't get hit that hard, but we did of course suffer like everyone else did. And if you came here, what you noticed is that we continued building our highway systems. We expanded our main metro areas, connecting us to our suburbs. And then in addition to that, we pumped a ton of money into the airport. And I don't know how many places we can talk about that did their largest growth phase ever during an economic crash to build their airport to prepare for what they knew was to come. Texas has always been business-minded, North Texas especially. And I don't think anyone sitting in the last crash did not know that Texas was gonna rebound and skyrocket on the backside. We certainly did and we banked on it, as did our investors. But a lot of people didn't understand the uniqueness of Texas as it pertains to our highway system. What happens is you have a large landmass area. And when you're in a place like LA or you're in a place like New York, everything revolves around the center of the city. And what we saw happening in Texas, if you go back 10 or 15 years, is all of the highway systems were connecting these outer suburbs and people were choosing to go to the suburbs as opposed to the main city because it was cheaper, it was nicer, there were newer shops and schools and malls and everything that we're looking for. And so the city of Dallas and the surrounding areas really picked up on this and they started building highways to all these far out suburbs and they went even beyond where the growth currently was. 
So if we look at an area like Sherman, which I'm gonna talk about in a little bit, they did the highway expansion to Sherman two to three years ago. Sherman is just now booming. And so we've always tried to stay ahead of the curve, whether it's with our highway system or whether it's with our airports or our bus and light rail systems, it's really quite incredible. And so it keeps our traffic patterns lower allows us to raise our speed limits. We have these big, beautiful open highways and we can traditionally travel 70 to 80 miles an hour. So unlike in LA where it takes me an hour to get somewhere when I go visit or go speak there, here if I'm traveling for an hour, I can literally go 60 to 80 miles. And so there's just a huge difference in the area that we can cover and therefore the area that we can grow into and employers pick up on that too. And that's why you're seeing so many of these employers go into the suburbs because there's so much more benefit for them there than there is to go into the congested and overpriced city. And we are really one of the only cities that has this type of layout. So it's certainly unique to us. Now, let's talk about why new construction, because a lot of people think when they think of new construction that you're not gonna get a good value, that you're not gonna get a good return, that you're gonna have to pay a lot of money. And so we target a very specific subset of new construction. We're not looking at expensive properties. Our average price point's about $150,000 for a single family class A finish out. So don't expect that you're gonna go online and go find that everything here is being built for 150. That's not the case. We're talking about the specific subset of properties that we deal in and that we have access to. The benefits of new construction, I could talk about all day, but I wanna share with you some of the main reasons why I buy new construction in my own portfolio to subsidize all of the repair and value play properties that I do. So number one, everything is brand new. So it obviously makes sense that your cost of maintenance and ownership would be lower. We're targeting these developing areas with new infrastructure, heightened growth and relocating, as well as expanding employers. And so the areas that we go into, they may have 50% of the people relocating there as renters, but it's predominantly still owner-occupied properties. So the areas that we're going into are not landlord heavy yet. They're starting to get there, and that's exactly what we want to be. But there's an even more, I would say, higher percentage of housing shortage for renters than what there is in the main city. And so when we look at the areas that we're trying to go to, we want to be the minority. We want to be in a place where whatever is happening on a worldwide scale, that there's still not enough properties for people that need to rent. You have to remember when we're looking at 50% renter numbers, so going back to the Dallas County numbers, a lot of those people are renter by choice, not by necessity. So these are traditionally a lot of millennials and we're seeing a lot of baby boomers too that are just choosing that they don't wanna own a home. They think the market's high, maybe they don't want the responsibility. We've seen a societal change away from responsibility. We're seeing it with lower birth numbers, we're seeing it with lower marriage numbers. There's just a lot of things that we monitor when we're looking at what the market is doing that's more than just real estate numbers. And so if we have 50%, so one in every two people is a renter, and say most of them are renting by choice, not by necessity, and certainly the subset of tenants that we deal with that is predominantly class A. What happens in a thing like Corona? somebody loses their job, they relocate here, maybe they lost their job here and it took them three weeks to seek alternate employment. So it could be a death in the family, it could be that they got sick, it could be, there's a hundred things that can happen, right? And so now we've got this other subset of the market that is now renting by necessity. So then what happens? Now we no longer have 50% of people renting, we've got maybe 60% or 65% or 70%. And again, we're already in a housing shortage because they filled that need with apartments. And so there's a very unique play to be in a place where supply is lower than demand because that's where we have the best potential, right? So by going to these suburbs where things are just now growing, things are just now developing, and they just simply don't have the infrastructure in place to support the growth, 
what we have the opportunity to get into is an area where there may be 50 or 60% renters, but there may only be 25% rental properties. And that is another reason we target those areas. Now, the new construction property tax benefit can be significant. And so let me explain how this works. January 1st of each year, the tax assessor is gonna look at the property that you own, and they're gonna look at the condition of the property, the value of the land, the value of the property, and they're gonna determine your tax assessed amount. And then you're gonna get that copy in the mail. Generally, that happens around April. So for those of you that just watched our webinar with Texas Tax Protest, we talked about the timing for this. Then you have the opportunity to appeal that number a final number is given, and then that number of value for the property is what dictates your actual property tax bill at the end of the year, and it's due by the end of January. Well, it's really due by the end of December, but it's late by the end of January, so most people pay that in January. So on January 1st, if the property you were buying was not built, it was bare land, that means they're going to assess that property at land-only value. And so if you buy that property, say they start construction February 1st and it's completed May 1st, you now have seven months of land only value property taxes. So that first year savings can be two, three, four thousand $4,000 depending on the value of the property. And if you buy new construction duplexes or triplexes or multifamily, all the different product lines that we offer, or whether you buy it on your own, you're gonna have that significant benefit of the land only value. And so by constantly doing our model, by buying new construction, letting the value go up enough to 1031 and double, the same thing we talk about, and I'm gonna show you some numbers on this in a little bit, you really are capitalizing on significant extra cash flow that first year. And so if you average your return between that first year and then say we get to the second year and maybe they don't assess you at full sales price, which typically they don't. In my experience, and again, there's no crystal ball, but most of my properties assess between about 80 and 90% year two. So there's still some realized savings generally year two and potentially year three. So when you factor that return over the years of ownership, you can get returns in the double digits easily. And so that's why we look at this model and why we target it and why we recommend flipping out of it so quickly. And so that reduced property taxes at the beginning of ownership means that you have to really target your completion timeline to meet that ability, depending on what your goals are. So if you buy a property that's complete sometime between say April and September, October, you're really gonna get some significant benefit, which is fantastic. Now, the next thing is we can buy them at the beginning of development. As I mentioned earlier, we don't wanna buy in something that's already skyrocketed, right? So we wanna buy in at the beginning where it's still on the way up. So the properties that we're buying that we're paying say 150, 144, maybe before they were going for 120, 125. You know, new construction can only be so cheap. Properties can only be so cheap. Really the areas that we're dealing in were predominantly older homes that needed to be renovated or bulldozed. So we're doing a lot of infill property. Those properties didn't exist before. There was no new construction to skyrocket. There was no redevelopment and revitalization to skyrocket. Whereas you go into Plano, for example, or Garland, I just bought a property in Garland, and that property is worth about 180 today that I just bought. And that's a pre-owned, obviously. That property in the last crash would have been worth about 80, 75,000 in the condition, maybe 110 fixed up. So we're talking a property value that's almost doubled. And so that's that type of thing where we start to get really wary because I know going into this property that if the market falls, that value is gonna drop. Now, am I anticipating that? Absolutely not. Do I think that's gonna happen in Texas? Absolutely not. But do I understand the risk I'm taking by buying something that's already skyrocketed in the middle of a large city that has plenty of property and plenty of rentals? Yes, I do. So the majority of my portfolio, 99%, 
is in these far out suburbs that are just now developing. And there's a reason for that. That's because we can get in before that development, while there's heightened growth, while there's so much population growth, they have to boost those schools. One of the example areas I talk about a lot is Sherman and Denison. So Sherman and Denison in the course of the last eight years has seen over 10% population growth. For a little area like that, that's astronomical. Right on Highway 75, 30 minutes north of the Metroplex, you've got Texas Instruments and Tyson Foods. The casino over the border employs thousands. You've got Finisar doing the face ID technology for Apple. There are major tech jobs out there and nobody thinks about it because they look at the map and they go, oh, that's not Dallas. That's a suburb. That's a far suburb. And what you don't realize is Dallas is not where anybody wants to be. Dallas is not where things are happening. That's not what we're piggybacking on. So when we look at the main map and we look at Dallas County and Collin County and Denton County and I go, okay, we're going to go one county out. That's Sherman Denison, that's Greenville, that's Cleburne, that's Burleson, all of these areas that we've been talking about for years. So very, very important that you understand not only what Texas is laid out like, specifically North Texas, and then in addition to that, to understand why we wanna buy in at the beginning of development instead of at the end. Now, the builder warranty and the extended home warranty protection options are probably the biggest cost-saving benefit of new construction. So let's talk a little bit more about that. We require our builders to provide what's called a 1-2-10 warranty. And so that's going to be a one-year everything, like a bumper to bumper, a two-year system, so that's going to be plumbing, electrical, HVAC, and then a 10-year structural. You're also going to have manufacturer's warranties on most of the items within the property, like your HVAC, your hot water heater, your appliances. And then we also do a two to five year policy for Fidelity Home Warranty, and it's a flat $705. And I think they actually just dropped this price to 660 and some change. I think those plans just went into effect last week and it covers all four years for that price. So essentially what you're getting is five years of ownership virtually worry-free. Now, again, there's no guarantees, things can happen. Sometimes there's flukes, but generally this puts you in the best possible position to expect consistent cash flow every single month and be able to sit in a property that you're not gonna have those surprises. I can't tell you how many people buy properties and bring it to us to manage. They don't buy it through us. And they think that they've gutted this house. They think they've redone the house. And I fall in this too, guys. We think that we've renovated this property and then surprises come up. It's just part of ownership. This is why we build in overages into our budgets and do the things to try to prepare for that. And when you're dealing in a, I deal sometimes in 120 year old houses, sometimes we miss something. Sometimes a system has been taxed or it's at age or whatever the situation may be. One of the biggest examples I see of this are plumbing issues. And for those of you buying older properties that are very old, you're gonna hear us recommend plumbing scopes and pressure testing and specifically after foundation repairs. Well, those of you not getting the right advice and coming to us on the back end, you may not know that. And so I can't tell you how many people come to us that they did foundation repair and they never scoped those plumbing lines. And so a year down the line, there's a major break in that line they didn't know about and now you have to deal with it. So, you know, there's a lot of things that are pluses in those value plays. And I do tons of them, you know that. But there's also a ton of pluses in having something consistent every single month and being in an area where everything around you is being rebuilt. And so the value at the end of that tends to rise significantly. And that is the new construction model and how the warranties help mitigate those costs and keep it consistent. Now, there's two different ways that builders can warranty a property. Number one is they self-warranty. And a lot of builders do that 
And then in addition, there's third-party warranties. Now, typically what you're gonna see is your larger builders are gonna self-warranty. And we often do work with a lot of the larger builders that will not sell to investors. They bring property to us because they have properties they can't liquidate. Maybe there's something going on that they need some sold quickly, or sometimes they have a visual obstruction, so it doesn't qualify for FHA or USDA financing under certain terms. And so those are the properties they'll bring to us. That could be something like a power line in the backyard. There are very strict requirements for government-backed financing, and sometimes there are things that will disqualify it. And so those are the properties that come to us. But generally, the majority of our builders are going to have to self-warranty and then over and above that put a third-party warranty in place. So Centricity, they used to be called bonded builders, if you guys ever heard of them. And this is a third-party commercial warranty. Now, the benefit to them is if your builder goes belly up, you buy from a small builder. And most of the builders we work with are small builders. Now, many of them are large in the scheme of small builders, but they're still small mom-and-pop builders. They go belly up you have a third-party warranty from a large company that's been around forever to be able to cover that property for you. Now, of course, there's also state laws about issues and all those types of things, but the goal is to never have to get into a situation like that. And I'm glad to say that I have not been in that position through now, but it is something that could potentially happen. And so when we have these warranties in place, this is what helps protect you. So depending on the seller, depends on how this is gonna work, but one way or the other, we require a one, two, 10. And then in addition to that, we're going to do full inspections, full blue tape visits, all of that before you ever close on the property to make sure it's in the right condition. A lot of people make the mistake of not inspecting new construction because they think that because it's new, there won't be issues. But I can tell you in my experience, there's actually more wrong with new properties most of the time than I see in pre-owned occupied properties. And that's because no one's ever lived there. You know, you sometimes have 20 or 30 different trades going through a property and no one's going to test every single little thing to the proper extent. And so that's why we always recommend third-party inspections. Now, it's really easy to purchase a new construction property. And after I go through a little bit more of this, I'm gonna show you some examples of how some of the numbers and things look. But first, I wanna make sure you understand how it works. So number one, you have to join our investor list. There's some non-disclosure agreements and things that have to be signed. And that's to protect the integrity of our list and to make sure people don't try to circumvent. Of course, our builders aren't gonna allow you to do that anyway, but that's pretty standard when you work with a company like us. And then we're gonna have access to the list of all the properties, which is updated, and you can go on the flyer blast list and all of that. As I mentioned, we have about 140 available as of today. You pick your lot, floor plan, or completed property. You do a DocuSign contract. We only do earnest money until closing, so it's just a few thousand dollars depending on the type of property you're buying. The loan's gonna start right around the time of completion, and we'll keep you posted on when that needs to be. And then once it's fully completed, we're gonna make sure the builder has all of the inspections completed with the city. And then you're gonna do a third party inspection as well with a licensed home inspector. And then we do what's called a blue tape walk, which is a cosmetic walkthrough where we literally take a roll of blue tape and tape up the property. And then we send you that report, we send the builder that report, and then we go back to verify they've made those completed repairs. And then finally, we get them to make those repairs from the inspection report. And once we verify everything is done, only then do you close. And that is when you bring the rest of your down payment or the purchase price if you're paying cash. And that's a conversation for a different day, but we are going to talk about how that makes a difference in your return. Now, some timing thoughts as to where we are right now. Right now is the best time of year. We're in prime season. 
We still have that land only value incentive for properties just completing. And so you've got the best timing to be able to close, get a quick tenant in there and get top dollar. So when we recommend timing for closings, anytime from April to end of July is always gonna be our top recommendation. Now, there are some properties that are incredible values that don't fit that timing. And I'm gonna show you a couple of those now. And you have to keep that in mind. And so the way I look at it is this, we tier 99.9% .9 of our tenants to prime season. Not everybody moves in prime season. So when we do have a property up in non-prime season, they tend to do very well because people are still moving, people are still relocating. And my suspicion is as this coronavirus goes away, we're gonna have a busier than usual August, September, October just because so many people are gonna put it off until that timeline. So that's my prediction. Let's talk about lot types and the benefits of infill. So I talked to you a little bit about how we're trying to target these revitalizing areas. And so what infill literally means are two different meanings when you're working with us. Number one, it's an existing street with older homes where homes are being bulldozed or renovated. And so these might be 1930s to 1950s track homes, sometimes 1970s. And there's either a home that has been bulldozed because it was cheaper to rebuild, or it's a home that's been completely renovated. And those are called infill properties. So you're buying in an existing street in an existing neighborhood in an existing area, you're buying a new property in the middle of all that. Now, many of the streets that we work on are 90 or 95% new construction and renovated properties. So when it's done, it really feels like a new neighborhood because the people who are going in and revitalizing the old ones like me and a lot of the people I work with, we make them look brand new. So you really can't tell them apart, but that's the goal. You wanna be in there while they're in the process of doing that. The pros of infill is that you're typically not gonna have HOAs. You're gonna get a much better purchase price. You're gonna have better value at the end generally. And then in addition to that, you're gonna have a heightened growth appreciation potential because number one, rising cost of new construction, all these tariffs and things you're hearing about, it's all translating into more expensive property. And then of course, when the area revitalizes and beautifies, typically that rises value as well. So again, no crystal ball, but that's the expectation and what we see. The pros of an actual neighborhood are, it looks like an actual neighborhood, but everything's very cookie cutter. You often have HOAs, you're gonna spend a lot more, and you're gonna have a lot more identical competition. So one of the things I love about having infill property is every property is very unique. It looks very custom, it looks very just non-competitive. When you go and do an HOA, we actually tend to see lower rent rates in the HOA neighborhoods with similar sized properties that are near the areas we're working in. And that's because those properties are all the same. They're typically not class A finish out. They're carpet flooring and cheap countertops and cheap cabinets and all those types of things because that's what sells in those neighborhoods. It's cheaper, it's mass produced. When we go into these properties and I'm gonna show you photos, they are stunning. They look nicer than probably most of the homes you all live in. And it's because they are putting everything in them to make them gorgeous and look historic and just beautiful. So you're gonna get more bang for your buck. And then at the end, you have better potential in the long run as well. So one of the reasons I love infill. So let's talk about some of the areas that we invest in. So I've just kind of put a map here of North Texas and surrounding areas. And you'll notice that we're investing along highways, cities with their own employment centers. Sherman Denison was an example I gave earlier. Greenville's another high one for us. And that has L3 technology, huge government defense contractor, only 20 minutes to McKinney. 
Um, I live in Parker, right on the edge of Plano. So city lines like nine minutes up the road from me and I can get to Greenville in 24 minutes. So it's very close, but it's also off major highways. You can get into Dallas down 30, you can go down 380 to get into McKinney and Princeton. And 380 is one of those highway expansion projects we talk about. So they've already expanded it through Princeton and now they're moving all the way out to Greenville. So again, with highway expansion means growth because people can travel those long distances. And so great, great prime for success there. I'm actually closing on a 10 unit apartment complex in Greenville tomorrow. So huge believer in that market. Um, redevelopment and growing areas, as I mentioned, we want it to be close to amenities like schools and colleges, shopping, lakes. One of the things you'll notice when you come here to North Texas is there is shopping everywhere. And that's really a product of our cost of living here and the fact that people have more expendable income and it's lots and lots of brand new stuff. So Sherman Denison has these incredible developments going on with movie theaters and shops and malls and all sorts of stuff, mostly the outdoor model. And Greenville's got the same thing going on. So going back to those two examples, they're following the exact models we're talking about. We want areas that are not high risk, high crime areas like most of Dallas and Tarrant County. If we have an area where we don't feel safe working, where we don't feel safe, wouldn't let my kid live there. If I feel like I have to cage my ACs, that's not an area that we're gonna sell. So very, very different type of feel than when you go into South Garland and Mesquite and Dallas and all those areas. Um, so something to keep in mind, we're trying to target the small town feel that brings people to Texas while being connected into the big, larger communities of our big suburbs. So when you go to these towns, they feel very quaint. They feel like you're watching an episode on TV from the 1950s and that's the feel we're going for, not the big bustling rundown kind of inner city feel. And again, we have the benefit of not having to work in those areas because that's not what Dallas dictates. Now, I did a webinar, it was called Where Are My, Where Basically Michael and I Are Buying, um, and that's on our YouTube. So if you wanna watch that, we went over this a little bit more in depth and certainly you can reach out if you have more questions about some of our target areas. Now, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time going over property management because you already know what we offer, but our whole system is based around this buy and sell model the quarterly walkthroughs, the two-month re-renting periods, in-house maintenance, all of those things are designed to keep costs as low as possible and keep it as occupied as possible so that we're in a prime position to be able to sell on the back end and continue to double that portfolio. So if you have any questions on our property management, just reach out and I will answer those separately. But this just kind of goes through all the different things that we offer to make sure that we are protecting that investment in the meantime so that when it's time to sell and reinvest, because that price has grown and you've paid it down with principal payments, we're going to be able to do that for you. And we have that all in-house as well. Now, let's talk about the benefits of a 1031 exchange, because this whole model is paramount to that. You have a property you're sitting in and we tell you it's time to sell, ultimately the choice is yours. But when we're making that recommendation, it's because you have too much equity in that property. So let's look at some numbers to help you understand. Say you have a property and you bought it for 120,000. So prime within our new construction model. Let's say some time has passed, it's now worth 160,000. You started with only 20% down and that's our recommendation. So you have $24,000 in that deal. So now you have an extra $40,000 equity because you've been paying down that principal. And with the 1031 exchange after closing costs, et cetera, let's say you have the $60,000 you're gonna walk away with. That is enough money to turn one property into two with no extra cash out of pocket. So we're really not talking about that much appreciation and these lower price points to be able to double that portfolio. So that's the goal. So by doing that, you've doubled your depreciation you've doubled your cash flow, you've doubled your principal payments, and you've doubled your assets. Your typical principal payment on a mortgage is about a 3% return. And depending on the loan term and interest rate and all of that, it's gonna determine on how you set up your mortgages. But generally using round numbers, let's say each property is 3% a year. So if you own a property in cash, 
you are basically losing out on four properties at 3% a year. So the loss in income and the loss in return is significant if you have too much equity in a property. So that's something to keep in mind. Here's the problem with being a long-term hold investor. You might have started with the right amount of equity. You started with 20% down, and you probably look at your return every month based on how much you originally put in that deal. But all of that equity in that property, so for those of you that bought two to three years ago, you're sitting on that cash. That's money that is in that deal now. So you need to rerun all of your returns with all that extra equity. Otherwise, you don't really know what your return is. And so once you start to broach that 30, 40, 50% equity line, your return drops significantly. And then you factor in interest rate differences and refinance costs, rising property taxes. Rents only go up about 28 to 3% a year. And so what happens is those rents go up if the property is appreciating at 5 to 10% a year, even at 5% you're losing 2% a year, plus your systems are aging, you're gonna have more repairs, it's just, it all adds up. So when we're looking at this new construction model, timing is so important. The moment that you hit that double possibility point, it's time to do it. And some of our customers wait until they're maybe at 15% extra equity, but they've got it across three or four properties. So they sell four properties and turn it into seven. So you don't even have to wait for doubling if you're sitting on a portfolio of more than one property. Now, here's an example of a property we just discussed. So this is that $160,000 property with 40% equity. You'll notice that your cash on cash return is about 6% and the cash on cash return with principal pay down is 9.12%. So you'll see in this case, that's about that 3% for the principal pay down difference in return. Now, here's a replacement into two properties with that amount of equity. So we took the same amount of equity you had, assumed that you've sold that property and bought two new properties at 140,000 each. Your return is now 10.23% instead of the 6.03%. And remember that last thing I just showed you didn't include repair costs or any of that jazz. But the principal pay down now makes a huge difference. You've gone to 13.76 instead of 9.12. And that's before the extra depreciation you get on your tax return and the asset gain increasing your net worth. And plus that's assuming that your original loan was at as good of an interest rate as what you can get right now. Cause we're seeing 4.1 to 4.4 right now on most of the loans that we're seeing. So keep that in mind, the equity that you are sitting on only an extra 15 to 20% literally will take your return if you were to redistribute that and almost allow you to double what you're making. And so it's a huge disservice to yourself to sit on that. I know there's a lot of John Ramsey types out there and I completely get that. What I'm here to tell you is that if you want maximum wealth and you want that path to retirement, you must use leveraging and you must build that portfolio, whatever it takes. Once you're independently wealthy and you have enough money to survive the rest of your life, you wanna pay everything off, great, do it. Until then, make sure that you're using your money to make money. We call the interest rates we're in right now negative interest. If you were to do a cash out refinance on your primary home and people come to me all the time, they have a million dollar home, they own it in cash. And I'm guilty of this too. I sit on all this equity and I look at it and here's the way you have to think about it. You can do a cash out refinance in the 2% range right now, maybe low threes, okay? You're gonna make on that 3% that you're gonna then leverage, say 12% adjusted, 14% adjusted. You literally are making 11% by borrowing the money. And because it's your personal home, you can deduct the interest. And there's just so many reasons not to sit on things paid off when you can build a portfolio. So 
again, talk to your financial advisor. They usually hate me because they go against everything I say and it's because they're afraid. You know, people, when it comes to real estate investing, they're afraid because they think of all the ways it can go wrong. And when it goes wrong, it's because either you're doing it wrong or you don't have the right team behind you. And I am a perfect example of someone who's not afraid. I buy five to 10 properties or more every single month. I use leveraging. I do a mix of new construction and value plays. And every year I've increased my income about $200,000 a year just in my investing. So, you know, again, it makes a huge difference and it doesn't take a lot of cash, guys. But you have to be on top of it. And you have to be willing to play the game. If you're just wanting to buy a property and sit in it forever, we are probably not the right fit for you because we're going to push you and we're going to guide you and we're going to educate you to take a better path. The goal is to get you out of your nine to five or be able to take your current retirement and intensify it into something better. And if you just sit on the same property, it's never going to happen. And eventually your repair costs and your property taxes and all those things are going to get you to a point where it barely cash flows at all. As I mentioned, rents often increase at a slower rate, 2.8 to 2.9% than value in an appreciating market. And again, we are currently in an appreciating market. Now, where we are at the end of coronavirus yet to be determined, I'm expecting massive gains, but we'll see. Many times reduce tax fees in the beginning of ownership. Again, huge incentive. And my preference is always to be the cheapest nice property. You want to spend the least amount of money to get the nicest quality property and be in an area where you are the minority, where every house on your street is not a rental. And remember, aging systems, whether you replace them or not, is money for repairs. And so the longer you own a property, the more your repair costs are gonna be. And keep in mind that as the city grows, those crime and all those things move north. There's a reason why all of the outlying suburbs don't allow the bus system and light rail to go into them. They don't want the crime and they don't want the homeless. And so as those things expand outward, crime grows with it because the people that were in the city, the city gets more expensive. They have to go to the next suburb out. Crime moves outward. So those of you that maybe bought properties in South Garland back in the day, Back then it wasn't bad, now it is. You need to reassess all of that because high crime areas, high drug use areas, all those things translate into more cost. Very important to keep in mind. So now we're looking at these different things, talking about this starting value. Okay, so we're back at our $140,000 starting value. Assuming you have appreciation at 9%, year one, it's worth 152.6. Year two, another 9%, it's worth 166.300. End of year three, assume appreciation drops to 5%. So for those of you looking at this, you're probably thinking, hmm, that's kind of what Dallas did the last three years. And that's exactly why I'm showing you this. Year three, 5%, it's now worth 181,000. And year four, 5%, it's now worth $190,000. So you've been collecting cash flow and principal pay down in the meantime, but look at what the value of your property has done in four years. So this is a basic snapshot of what Dallas did over the last four years. Now, many of our clients saw a lot more appreciation than this, and some saw less depending on where they were, but this is generally about how my portfolio performed, okay? So now after the 1031, we've got two properties, both cash flowing, both paying down principal and depreciating. So in reality, my point of all of this is using 1031 exchanges in a hybrid market is extremely important. You always wanna make sure when your value gets to about the 200, $210,000 mark, it's typically time to exit. Now, the cheaper you buy in, the cheaper you're gonna sell out. So if you're buying property at 120,000, we're not waiting for 200, that's too long. We're waiting for like 160. And we're gonna guide you with that. Every time your lease is up for renewal, 
part of my letter to you is going to be what the market is doing and whether or not it's time to look at selling. And you can reach out to me, let me know, and we'll go over the numbers. And we have a performer that we will send you showing you what your money redistributed would look like for cash flow. And then you can compare that against what you're currently seeing to make a decision on what you want to do moving forward. So on our property list, we've got single family, two to four family, multiple family, duplexes, wholesale, and value play. So we've got a little bit of everything. We are about 90% to 95% new construction and we're 50 to 60% exclusive off market. So we currently work with over 30 builders. Now, this is an example and all of these are available as of today. So you'll notice I've omitted addresses because again, that's all part of our NDA, but I'm gonna show you examples of properties that we have available as of today. So this is a brand new construction, three bed, two bath, just over 1100 square feet. Our sweet spot on size is 1100 to 1400 square feet. We tend to see that a fourth bedroom is worth more than a garage, so things to keep in mind. When we look at Sherman Denison, garages are not standard. That's not something we see frequently. It's not real important. We go to Greenville, we see them more frequently. So we make sure that our build product meets and fits and streamlines into what's around. And so not all of them are gonna look the same and you'll notice that. But the requirements that we do have similar across all of our builders are the quality of finish out, the quality of materials that last the life of the tenancy, things like granite countertop, solid surface flooring, upgraded roofs, upgraded windows. And then in addition to that, we wanna make sure that we have all of the protections in place to make sure that your cost of ownership is gonna be as low as possible. So we're either gonna do a third party warranty with fidelity or whatever we need to do. But typically our standard is we're gonna put that on closing no matter what. And that's that two to five year plan unless you tell us otherwise. So the goal is one, two, 10 with the builder, two to five year with fidelity, upgraded finishes and conforming to the area with class A finish out. So this is a perfect example of that. This one rents for between 1250 and 1350. We get about 1325, 1350 on these most of the time, but when we look at our performers, we like to be as conservative as possible. So if you're not already on our investor list, the way that it works is you go into our system and you're gonna see not only the available list that's updated all throughout the day, but also performa folders. And in those performa folders, we're gonna tell you how it performs today and how it's gonna perform in the future. So this is a picture of a finish out on this property. So you'll notice again, that class A stunning finish that we talk about. So we've got the cement flooring, the upgraded countertops. We've got all those different things that we're looking for for longevity. Now this builder does a high gloss finish stained concrete. It's stunning and it's extremely durable. And so this is just stylistically one of my favorite builders. And when we look at the return here, that left column, you're gonna see all the assumptions at the top, okay? So we're assuming 20% down, 4.45% interest. We've included the leasing fee to place a tenant, the property management fee, all the things you need to think about. And then at the bottom, I've run numbers on this one at 1300. So again, we're trying to be very conservative on this. And so what you'll see in the land only period, you'll notice that your return is over 20% on this property. And then on the right, this is if and when it ever assesses to full purchase price, that property tax bill, and now we've got a return of over 10%. So you average this return, you're in the double digits. So it really is quite an incredible opportunity. And then at the bottom, you'll notice principal pay down calculated in what your overall true return could potentially be on this property. So you're talking a return on this property all in somewhere around 20% averaged. So really quite incredible. So this is an example of one of those properties we're talking about. So to kind of show you the layout of Denison, you'll notice it's right off Highway 75 and you'll notice it's due north. 
Sherman and Denison, we call them sister cities, and that's because they're right together and their markets are really compatible for each other. Sherman's slightly more expensive, slightly more developed. It is the county seat, and the majority of the employers are right on the line. So again, Tyson Foods, Texas Instruments, the casino in Durant, you can see up there, they alone just hired a thousand people. There's just mega employment up there. And again, you'll see it's part of the DFW Metro, and it's very close in if you need to get into those northern areas. So fantastic opportunity. This is a new construction duplex in Sherman. This is a builder I've been working with for a long time. Great guy. Uh, three bedroom, two bath per side, 1,284 square feet per side, $275,000 purchase price. And rents on these are $1,250 to $1,350 per side. And uh, again, everything that I'm talking to you about right now is exclusive to us. It's all off market, only for OmniKey investors. These do tend to go fast. So if you want more information on any of these, you can reach out. So there's your drawing. These are about 85% completed. There's only one left. You'll see that layout where you've got just a very open shotgun floor plan. These do very well. This is located right off 75 and right by Austin College. Our target is not the students. Our target is support staff and those that work and live around the area. So it's almost walking distance to 75. It is walking distance to the college. It's just a great opportunity and again, incredible finish out. So this is what these look like. His style's just impeccable. And then return on this one is here. You'll notice that first year at land only value, it's 19.75, over 24% with principal included. And then after it resets to full purchase price, you'll notice that goes to just under 10%. So again, incredible opportunity. And on rents on this one, you've noticed, again, we've been extremely conservative. We're only saying 25.50 for both sides. And we've calculated in pretty much everything you need to think of here. We've got insurance, we've got that prorated leasing fee to put the first tenant in there, the monthly management fee. Insurance often comes in lower than what we're quoting, but we wanna try to be as conservative as possible. So again, this is Sherman. You'll notice Austin College right there off the highway. And again, location as it pertains to the city of Dallas. As a reminder, if you have any questions along the way, don't hesitate to ask. So this is Cleburne. This is down south. I'll show you the map in a moment. This is an area we're very excited about because it's been very hard to get anything down here because everything goes to owner occupants so quickly. This is a three bedroom, two bath, just under 1,100 square feet. Purchase price is just over 145 and rents are 1250 to $1,350. And so, Beautiful finish out again. You'll notice those solid floors, great for long-term for tenants. Return, so 21% to start. And then on the back side, it drops down to just under 10%. So map here, you'll notice that this is just south of Fort Worth. Very great area, lots of growth going on right now. So for those of you that invested with us in Burleson a few years ago, you've seen your property values go in the last three years from about 115, 120 up to 180 to 200. And so now you'll notice that we're one city further. So it just kind of goes back to that same model we talk about where we just keep moving with the expansion and with the growth. If you go back many, many years, go back to the beginning of us doing this and right before the crash, we started in Rowlett. That used to be considered outlying Dallas. So it's very interesting to see how we just keep doing further and further and further and the city keeps connecting with us and it goes even beyond where we are now. It's all about where we can get the numbers and where we can get the best product. And then this is Greenville. So you'll remember I mentioned that traditionally in Greenville, we do see garages. And so this is a great example of that, a three bed, two bath, one car garage, 
just under 1300 square feet, purchase price just over 146. So rents on this are 1275 to 1375. I have a few of these available and we have a bunch in build. So you can pretty much pick the completion date you want to pick the lot that works for you. Again, fantastic finish out. I've actually bought two from this builder. They did very well for me. I've already exited both of them and bought back in again. And again, this is an area I really, really love. Greenville just has so much potential. It's so close and so underdeveloped and there's just a ton of money pumping in there right now. Again, that's where L3 is. So if you look at the return here again, you're gonna see that 21% and just over 10%. So again, fantastic returns on these. And here's our map showing where Greenville is. So you'll notice that you can get to it off Highway 30 and 380, just as I mentioned. So you can get quick cut into McKinney, Plano, all those areas, or you can go down into Roy City, Rockwall in the city of Dallas, Garland, Mesquite, et cetera. So again, very easy access for Greenville and it's quite developed as well. And then here's another new construction duplex. So this is in Garrett, which is really Ennis. They're, Garrett's just tiny, and so Ennis is an easier way to kind of find it. This will be the last, I think we may have two left actually. So we've done a lot on the street. We originally sold a few years ago and the builder's now building another batch. Awesome, awesome properties and fantastic location. Now, Ennis and Garrett are in Ellis County. So for those of you familiar with the new Google data center, that's where that went and extremely close and drivable into the main city and all the surrounding suburbs. So very convenient. We've been getting, I think, 1475 even on renewal on these. So I would anticipate 1475 aside, but conservatively 1375 to 1475 aside. Again, almost 1400 square feet aside with a garage on each side. So really great kind of layout. And again, beautiful cabinetry, great finish out, great flooring, nice custom shower and the master, just the types of upgrades and things we're looking for. And then here's return on this one. So first year's just under 20%. And then if and when tax value assesses to full purchase price, again, over 9%. And again, keeping in mind that we're overstating property insurance most likely, but we wanna to try to be as conservative as possible. I'm seeing all your questions. I will get to them all at the end. And so here looking at the map, you'll see Ennis down straight down south of Dallas. So it's right down I-45. You can connect back into Waxahachie. You can get into Mesquite Garland, Dallas any of the areas where all those employers are, or of course, Ennis has lots of its own employment and development as well. All right, so let's get started on questions and we will get to these as we go. I see a couple comments about Tesla. Yes, I think we are gonna get Tesla coming our way. Um, okay, so I noticed many of the new homes in Denison do not have garages or outdoor storage. If we are requesting the resident to care for the lawn, it would seem reasonable that we would provide a storage area. Is it reasonable to negotiate for that? So yes, to answer that question, we often include that they are required to build a shed. So there are some extra things that we require our builders include, and you're gonna notice that when we do agreements. We require them to include the fence, a wood fence with metal posts. And that's something that's very important because it provides privacy. And remember, most Texans do have pets. And so we're gonna make them include that and two inch faux wood blinds. Again, our goal is that you have as little money in these deals as possible. So it's paramount that it has everything included that you need so that the only cost that you're going to have is going to be the rekey and bringing it to rental property code at closing. And then of course the leasing fee, which is included in that performa. So um, can I think of any scenarios where it makes sense to buy and hold long-term? Yeah, I can think of a few. Um, I'll use my own portfolio as an example. I buy a lot of heavily distressed properties and I put a ton of cash in them. My big apartment complexes, for example, 
And on the back side, we cash out refinance to get all that money back and capitalize on all the equity on the back end. So I have apartment complexes where I've pulled out hundreds of thousands more than I ever put in it. And I can't really see any reason that I would sell those properties. They're huge cash flowers. I've got an infinite return because I have more money in them or no money in them rather, I have more money out than I have in them. And they haven't skyrocketed to a point where the return is no longer good. And so then I think about if I were to 1031 that, I would be carrying over so much money that I would have to then go use. And right now is not the market to be buying huge apartment complexes. The market is just too expensive. So yeah, I can think of a scenario. Another scenario I can think of is if you're gonna do cost segregation studies and you're gonna take all of that you know, bonus depreciation and everything up front, you probably aren't gonna wanna sell it in two years. Um, some people do, and certainly it's something that I will be doing because there's just a lot of benefits to it right now, but it's a lot of back and forth on the taxes and calculations and things. And so for people that don't have a CPA, which if you're a real estate investor, let me just give you a PSA, you need a CPA. You're gonna miss out if you don't have one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can see some scenarios where it would make sense to hold it long-term, but it's gonna be extreme value plays like the ones I do that most people are afraid to touch. If you're not on my Facebook and you don't watch the projects I'm doing, if you want some good humor and comedy and just to have your jaw drop, send me a friend request and you can see everything we're doing. We uh, even made it a family affair last weekend demoing one of the properties I bought because it's coronavirus, we don't really have anything else to do. But uh, my kids were throwing bowling balls and weights and walkers and it was, uh, it was quite an experience, but yeah, for some of the extreme, extreme value plays, I definitely can see holding it long-term if you've taken a ton of money out on the backside and it still returns, but generally that's only gonna happen in the multifamily uh, extreme value play market. In my overall portfolio, am I 80% leveraged or are, am I lower? I am 80% leveraged on everything that I have cashed out of. So any property where I do cash or I do some type of rehab, I am at 80% traditionally. Now, for those of you that are doing Fannie Mae, and I don't wanna to take too much time on this subject today, I've done plenty of webinars on the subject. If you cash out on Fannie Mae on a value play, you are capped at 75%. So keep that in mind. Um, everything that I have that's currently in rehab or cash owned, all of that, no, I'm not 80% leveraged, but everything that's stabilized, yes, I am 80% leveraged. Um, let's see, if so, how much reserves? Reserves really depend on what your actual living expenses are too. Uh, you know, for me, I'm very cash heavy, so that's not really something that I look at, but for the average investor, sometimes people will come to me and they'll be like, I have $35,000 in the bank, I wanna buy a property, and my answer is gonna be no, you're not ready. I always recommend that you have at least 20,000, 15,000 in reserve per property you own. Because again, especially if you're buying pre-owned or value play properties, something can come up very easily. And you certainly don't wanna be in a position where you're having to use credit cards and things. I had a client who bought an apartment complex and I don't think he did an inspection. He brought it to us to manage and he'd already had it for some extended amount of time and the repair cost was so significant, you could push on the back wall of one of the buildings and the whole wall would give. It was just a nightmare. And you know, number one, it boiled down to not doing an inspection, which we don't allow that. We always require clients to do inspections. And it's certainly something that you want to do. It protects yourself. You know, in real estate investing is generally the single largest investment anyone's ever gonna make. You wanna make sure you do it right. 
And so anyway, that client did not have the money to make repairs and wound up having to use credit cards. And so my advice day one was, as you can imagine, you need to sell this, you need to flip it, you need to get out of it, get it to an investor who can do it right. And so we never want someone in that position. Now, the way that you stay out of that position is you do your due diligence, you do proper inspections, you buy the right properties, you make sure that you fix things right, you budget for it. And when we do value plays, we put you in a loan program that allows you to roll in your repairs into the final deal and your lending percentage is based on the end value, not the upfront value. So typically reserves are less important in those cases because we've already budgeted for everything that we can foresee. But that is something to certainly keep in mind. Um, okay, next question. When looking at building a portfolio in these areas or cities, do you recommend diversifying and spreading your portfolio across all of them or targeting one to two? So I use the analogy of a dartboard. And so what we do is we look at how much money you're bringing. And one of the questions when we do our initial intro calls and things we're going to talk about is what are your goals? What are you looking to do? And I do have to talk people off the ledge of buying everything in one area. I actually, one of my oldest clients in terms of how long I've worked with them, wanted to buy everything in one city. I had this new package come up from an off-market builder, incredible portfolio, and he wanted to buy everything the guy had. And I said to him, you know this is not my recommendation. You know that we wanna diversify and throw the darts all over the place. And so in that case, yes, we're going to diversify and we're going to recommend that you go all over the place. The reason being, and this is just one of many reasons, but the main reason I think about is this. We're dealing in smaller suburbs. One major employment relocation is enough to grow that area significantly and have it skyrocket. And so you want to make sure that you're positioned into as many of those smaller areas off the main infrastructure highway growth as possible, because then you're better primed to benefit from a major employer relocation. You know, the big companies, your Toyotas and your State Farms and all of them, they're going to go into the main, main suburbs that are the richest and the nicest, et cetera. But a lot of the companies that work with them relocate after they do. And so we saw that when a lot of these companies started coming here. And so we want to make sure that we're primed into all those areas surrounding it so that if and when one of those subsidiary companies or partner companies or another complete company comes in, that we're primed in as many areas as possible to have the best possible ability to get a bullseye hit. So yes, I look at it like a dartboard. And one of the projects that I didn't present today are a batch of off-market duplexes in Colleen, right outside of Fort Hood. Another great example of a huge cash flow play because that area right now, Trump is building the military. Whether you like it or not, it's happening. And Colleen is feeling the benefit of all of that and along with the actual growth in Texas. And so those new construction duplexes are about 225,000. They rented about 1%. The return is through the roof. And again, all of that development and growth is happening because of so much growth happening at the base. And so one little thing is enough to skyrocket an area. And so that's really important. Okay, next question. The main problem I'm facing in remote shopping or investment property is that Google Maps doesn't show the current state. During COVID, I can't travel, so how can we help? Is it possible to have video tour? Yes. So do not use Street View or Google Maps. Most of the time, they're four to five years outdated and these areas change weekly. And so we will provide photos, we can do FaceTime, we can do videos, we can do whatever it is you need to get a feel for the area. And of course, we love doing tours, but really I think about 98% of our clients don't buy from tours, they buy remotely. And because you have to remember, we deal with a lot of people that don't have the ability or the time to get here and a lot of our clientele are international. So we are already set up to do all of those things for you. And then don't forget when we get into the inspection and purchase process, we're gonna be sending you all the photos from the blue tape, you're gonna have everything from the inspection, all of that, so that you have a very good feel of the condition and what you are buying. 
Now, next question, are lawns full sod and fences being included in the purchase price or does it depend on the builder? So we write our contracts with full sod and fences. It is occasional that one of the builders will kick back without that. And then at that point, we will discuss and make a determination based on how you feel. Traditionally, some of the bigger builders who bring us, bring us property when they have some that they can't sell. And remember, those builders typically don't sell to investors, so they're not really wanting to bend over backwards for us. They will stop their sod 20 feet back from the back property line, but they will fully sod the front. So again, it's case by case, but our standard addendum is gonna have all of that included, and if it's not, we'll discuss it and determine how to proceed. We do not recommend doing sprinkler systems. They are a nightmare for maintenance. They are a nightmare for repair expense, and they are something that we definitely do not want because tenants are not trained enough to know when a zone's not spraying right, when it's overwatering one area. So we prefer the tenants have to actively water their property themselves so that they can make sure that they are monitoring where the water is going and that it's being directed properly. Our lease requires that they water the yard at least twice per week unless we're under water restrictions, which we've had a lot of rain the last few years. You know, if I go back five, 10 years, we had a lot of droughts, but we just haven't been seeing that. We've had historic rain every year. If we get back to a point where we're too dry, it's not raining, they're not watering, it's very, very easy to see that at our walkthroughs. The sod pulls away from the side of the house and there's giant cracks in the yard. So that's one of the things that we are checking when we do our quarterly visits. Uh, question, has non-QM lending come back by now? We don't work with non-QM lending. So I just wanna make sure I put that out there. All of the lending products that we offer are not considered non-QM. We are direct bank, Fannie Mae, and direct commercial. Um, so. As far as I know, non-QM lending has not started to come back, but we're probably a week out from starting to see some of those programs. I'm hearing rumblings, and one of the programs that I am aware of that I have referred to people in very unique cases outside of what they're buying from us is coming back available. Certainly other markets are coming back much later. Texas is seeing it first. And I think that Florida is probably going to see it first as well. The strong markets are where they're going to begin doing it again. I'm seeing a lot of pushback in some of the northern markets that have been hit so hard where it's not going to be back, at least in the next couple of weeks. But again, we do not recommend non-QM lending. We do not recommend the hard money and cash out model for most people. So if you have a question on that, reach out and I can go over that more in depth. So I have a question, how do we get on your list? If you're interested, I've got the investments team email here or my information. Just send us an email and we can get that information over to you. Or if it's easier, you can just go to our website, omnikeytexas.com, and there's a pop-up and it'll prompt you to fill out your information to join our investor list. And that will get you started on that process as well. I have another one here, uh, joined investor list, not receiving. Like how can I access? Okay, so you probably need to check your spam folder. We do property flyers almost every single day and often multiple a day. So check your jump or your spam folder and you're probably gonna see it in there. If you don't find it, just shoot me an email and I will go into the system and make sure that your email is in there correctly. And then the Dropbox link, when you sign up, you're gonna get a link to the Dropbox folder. You're not gonna receive a list every time that updates. You go into it and it has been updated every time. You can see the last updated date and in there, there's city data, builder information, referral information, performance, all of that. That's not gonna blast out to you when it's updated because it's updated all the time. We have people updating it all throughout the day. So you'll just wanna go back into that link and check it anytime you're viewing. 
And keep in mind that only about 10 to 20% of the properties we add go on our blast just because they go so quickly. And so make sure we know what you're looking for. Make sure that you schedule one of those strategy sessions with us so that we know to keep an eye out for what fits your model. And we can, of course, make recommendations about what we think is best as well. Um, I see a couple people said they sent me a Facebook invite, so I'll go do that after these. Uh, times to visit our markets, yes, we do. We are not doing active tours for about another two weeks. We're gonna wait until all of our counties are completely open. And so the next kind of open date is May 18th. So I believe we will start doing tours again in about a week. So just send us an email and let me know. Uh, see a couple compliments here, thank you. And then last question, have you had any experience on credit union loans? Let me talk to you about small credit unions and banks for a moment so that you can understand my hesitation with them. And it's a very similar hesitation that I have with the Chases and the Wells Fargo and all of those. They are not investment specialists and they do not have the money allocated for those types of loans to be easy, okay? So when we look at small banks, a lot of your small banks and credit unions may have 500 million on their books. And when we're talking about an investor wanting to build a portfolio and wanting to do a significant amount of purchasing an investment property and have access through a bank to a great network of appraisers and all the different services that are needed to do that, when we deal with a small credit union, they're gonna really struggle with that. If you are interested in working with a credit union on investment financing, I would only recommend working with a credit union that's in the area where the property you're purchasing is located. And when it comes to the big banks, a lot of you I'm sure are watching the news and listening to what happened with the PPP loans. So if you look at the people who went to the small banks, the medium-sized banks, they got their financing in a couple of days. You look at the people who went to the Chase and the Wells Fargo and the Bank of America and it was a nightmare. There's a reason for that. When you go to these big companies, you are a number. You are not someone who they care about. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Now, I still have a lot of my operating money at Chase because for my main accounts, they have better services. They're easier, they're credit cards, all that stuff, it's better. But my money is held at medium and small size banks. Why? Because that is where I matter. That is where I'm a customer and more than a number. And so I talk a lot about the family owned and operated in the handheld feel. That's really important to me. And when we look at the big banks, I cannot tell you how many times they blow closings. We refer you to people who do a good job only because they do a good job. We don't get referral fees or kickbacks from the lenders or the insurance companies, those types of things that we refer you to. The only time that we're gonna get a referral fee, it has to be disclosed to you in writing. And so you know that when we're telling you, go work with this lender, talk to this lender, those things, there's nothing disclosed to you in writing because we're not getting paid. And so it's really important you understand that when we make these recommendations, it's only because we know that they're gonna do a good job and they're gonna meet your closing timeline. I can tell you uh, there's a lot of lenders that are big talkers out there and they blow closings like I've never seen. And it doesn't seem like that's a big deal, but when we are bringing a huge investment model to the table with these builders and convincing them to work with us instead of other people. And the way that we do that, let me go through that for a moment because it'll help you kind of understand the backside. I mentioned how financing is really hard for builders to begin with, but especially right now and in light of what's going on. What we do is we pre-contract. So we take a builder who's maybe building two or three at a time and we say to them, bring us everything exclusive and we will sell everything you have and most of it will have contracts before you even start construction. What that allows them to do is have guaranteed financing from the bank because the bank is gonna be willing to lend on that property if they know there's already an end buyer. The builder is then not assuming the risk of not closing or at least in the bank's mind, that risk is much lower. 
Then we connect them with our banks and our contacts that have special programs for just our people. Because again, by volume and by cash across thousands of people, we have a lot of power, guys. And so that translates into bank relationships and loan offers and things, and also with builders who are going to work with us. And so back to my original point, when we're looking at these types of situations, it's very, very important that you have that handhold family owned and operated feel and getting people to have that feel as they grow is exponentially difficult. When you go to the big banks, when you go to the Chase and the Wells Fargo, there is nothing that we can do to guarantee they're going to close on time. And these big talker lenders who are real active on things like bigger pockets and all those things, we all know for every guru that's actually worth something, there's 50 that are talking but doing nothing. And so it's real important that you vet who you're working with. Make sure whoever you're with is someone that you can hold accountable. At Wells Fargo, you ain't going to be able to hold them accountable. And so, you know, you want to go to a credit union, that's great. Just make sure they're in the area and they have the contacts. I've literally seen people try to go to small banks and credit unions in another area and they literally do not have an appraiser to do the appraisal in their appraisal network because they don't belong to the appraisal networks. And then they have to service that loan and be able to do things and it's just very, very difficult. So again, I definitely can give you referrals. You're welcome to use whoever you want, but I strongly recommend you at least talk to the people we recommend because we use them for a reason. If you blow that closing, you blow the relationship with that seller, with that builder. We have no way to know if they're even going to allow you to extend. If they do, they're probably going to financially penalize you for it. And in the long run, it hurts everybody. So very important that when you have a closing deadline that you can meet it. So very important. Um, oh, we've got some new questions here. A couple more compliments. Thank you guys for the compliments. Y'all are very sweet. Uh, preferred lender now. If you have specific questions about what lender for your situation, shoot me an email or give me a call. My cell phone, I'm going to go ahead and give that to you guys. I always give it, but just in case you don't have it, it's 214-724-9118. Again, that's 214-724-9118, or my extension up above rings direct to my cell phone as well. Um, any concerns about Legacy Texas becoming Prosperity Bank? No. Um, one of the things I did, so I've worked with Legacy for years. My concern with them about becoming Prosperity was more related to the type of multifamily product that they were going to be willing to lend on and specifically their foreign national lending as it relates to my foreign national clients. A huge chunk of my clients are not American citizens. And so Legacy Texas is my preferred foreign national lender. They've already kind of gone through that process. They've already changed the requirements where needed and firmed up. And I've already gone through the back channels to confirm that they're going to continue offering and have continued to offer the same product line. So no, I do not have any concerns about that. I do think they're going to be more conservative on the extreme risky plays for people that are not Omni-Key clients. And I think that if you've talked with them, you've probably already seen that. But remember, most people putting those loans through Prosperity Bank, talking about how difficult they are, are reselling those loans. They're brokering those loans and they're taking a spread on that. And so we don't work that way. When we put you with someone, we're putting you direct with the bank. So a lot of the hard money lenders and the people that you're going to talk to, they're using the same banks we are. They're just getting paid on top of it. So you're paying a higher rate or higher terms and costs because there's a spread. We take you direct to the source. Um, other than that, I think that's it at this time. So as always, we thank you all for being part of the OmniKey family. You know how to reach me if you have any questions. And certainly above all, I hope everybody is staying safe, staying sane. And I will look forward to seeing everybody on the next webinar next week. Thanks so much. Oh, and by the way, we do have a property specific webinar featuring one city tomorrow with available property. You do have to be on the exclusive investor list for that. 
And so if you have not already signed up, send us info and we will get everything out to you and get you ready and registered in advance of that tomorrow. We're gonna begin doing those weekly just because there's so much inventory right now and we'll be featuring a different city each week. Thanks again, everybody, take care.